Hello and welcome to his Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And our exploration of William Friedkin continues with 1977's Sorcerer, which is based mm. on The Wages of Fear by Henri-Georges Clouseau, or at least based on the same novel that that was based on. But it definitely owes a debt to the Clouseau film. It's dedicated to Clouseau at the end, for instance. It's about these four guys who don't know each other at the start, you're introduced to them separately, and they all, for one reason or another, escape their lives to South America. And in South America, they kind of have nothing and they want to leave, and a job comes up from an American oil company that requires them to drive unstable, badly stored nitroglycerin 200 miles across mountains, dirt tracks, and they don't like each other, but they have to get on with it. They Mm. could die at any moment. Fate could kill them. Nature's against them. You're the one who was really interested in seeing this. Uh, You hadn't seen it before. So what did you make of it? It's a weird film because um, I thought... It was very suspenseful. The suspense really worked on me. Uh, mm. I, I, I loved the look of it. Yeah, you can see how um, Friedkin is such an incredibly skilled director. Yeah, um, you know, the way the camera moves and flows, the compositions, the way the shots are set up, right? It's almost like mm. you can't fault it. And yet... The editing. The editing is beautiful. And actually... I noticed in the credits, which I hadn't realized, that the editor is one of the co-producers of the film. So that's oh, right. how, that's how important, you know, the contribution uh, of the editors was. And yet, I don't like it. Yeah, I kind of, mm. you know. Um, so I have seen the original uh, Wages of Fear, and I found it uh, uh, more suspenseful. More, more philosophical, yeah, it is about, you know, a character not determining fate, the world being chance. Mm. In this film, I didn't like the prologues, yeah? I mean, I like them, or I like some of them, you know, but it's almost, it, it's almost telling you that because of those events that they did early in the film, life is now punishing them, yeah, in a way that there's no way out. So, 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 therefore, character in this film does become fate. You do something bad, you'll get punished. <laughs> yeah, you'll end mm. up in this horrible town. Yeah, uh, which actually, I also didn't like that. I thought it was, like, disgraceful. Uh, I didn't like the way the Latin American town and culture and so on was depicted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, um... I was going to say that Friedkin finds no beauty or love or anything in that place. Now, you can have a place that's run down and very poor and still find, you know, beauty, love, family, whatever. You know, uh, uh, all Friedkin finds is how beautiful, you know, a rooster's red crown is, right? Like, yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, so, 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 So there are things that in a way draw me to him. I mean, I like that he's drawn to darkness, you know? I mean, I think we all carry... Darkness is a part of life. We all carry it within us. I like to see explorations of it. But it also seems to me that Friedkin can't see beyond the darkness. Yeah, And I don't like that. Mm. 
Yes, there's little joy in these characters' lives. There's little joy, there's little love, there's little beauty. <laughs> to the extent that we get to know them. The thing about the um, prologue section mm. that introduces the four characters that uh, that struck me was it really worked for me in the moment. I like the style of those things. You've got like a, you've got a Palestinian character yes. who uh, does a bombing in Jerusalem, then has to escape. You've got the uh, French uh, sort of business owner who's uh, under investigation for fifteen million francs of corruption, so he has to escape. Mm. Roy Scheider is a, a, a mob guy in New Jersey. And a, a kind of heist goes wrong. He has to escape, and uh, someone else. I can't remember the fourth one, but they all have to escape, and they end up in the fourth, South America. Who's the fourth? Let me one? tell you because the fourth one is this hired killer in That's Mexico, right. and actually one of the fascinating things about him is that he is Paco Raval, and Paco Raval is arguably you know the biggest male star of Francoist Spanish cinema. He was also one of Buñuel's favorite actors. He was the star of Viridiana and Belle de Jour. Yes, Belle de Jour. Well, I was reading that Friedkin wanted him for the Fernando Rey role. That's right. In the previous film, the uh, French Connection. That's what I, that's what I've read. Yes, but instead ended up uh, uh, with Fernando Rey. So obviously, you know, they were. Uh, all the casting people were so racially prejudiced they couldn't tell one spick from another. There's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one way. I understand that this, I think the story goes that he he had seen a seen him in a Bunuel film, seen him in Belle de Jour, and all he could remember was that he was Spanish and sent someone off to identify him, and they came back with the wrong guy. Yeah. But he ended up. But he got him for this. Anyway, Fernando Rey is very good in it, and I absolutely love Paco Raval in this actually. And and his character here, as you say, this uh, this sort of assassin for hire, um, he's not someone who's escaping to South America. He's someone who, when you meet him, he's passing through South America. Yes. Um, but for whatever reason, he's still there, and and he decides to kill this uh, German former Nazi who's hiding out there. And because this German is one of the four guys selected to transport this um, nitroglycerin. Nilo kills him and takes his place. That's one of the faults of the film, is that you're never clear on what Nilo is doing. Yes, I, I kind of agree. Well, this is kind of what I'm guessing to, because I think the thing about those prologues for me is in the moment they really work. Mm. So the style of them the, and the way they set up a very simple thing about who this character is and why he's there works. And then you don't learn really anything else about these characters for the rest of the film. Yeah. Not through their dialogue with each other, not through the... You know, the, the, you, um, Roy Scheider's character, you get through his kind of expressions and his kind of weariness, a kind of despondency, and you kind of got, you start to feel his character, I guess. But you don't learn anything more about him. And by the end of the film, you're going, I don't know, I don't know what, why I was so invested in these people. But in the moment, those setups, at least for the main three characters, not not so much the assassin, um, they did kind of see me through the rest of the film. I did. It was only after the film that I thought, oh, wait, I didn't learn anything about these guys, you know? Well, for me, it's, it is, a, you know, because I was thinking, you know, because there's all those things that I really value in film that I began this with, right? Like, you know, the compositions, yeah, the lighting, the look, you know, the way that, like, every camera move seems purposeful, you know? And then you're thinking, but, but really, to what end, you know, because... I, I saw the film in two parts. I saw it late at night, late at night, the first hour, 
uh, and then I just, you know, it didn't hold my interest enough to make me stay up to finish it off. Mm. Um, and then I saw, I, I backtracked a little bit, and then I saw the rest this this uh, this morning. And, I, you know, I was asking myself, like, I'm not moved by anything. The only feeling that I felt watching it was suspense. You know, it was the suspense I credit, right? Mm. You know, but out of a whole range of emotion that a person can feel while watching a film, that it only elicits suspense because actually I wouldn't even say thought, right? So I am, you know, I'm also desperately trying to make meaning from it, right? To say, well, why are we seeing this and why are we seeing that? And actually kind of, you know, I, I can't come up with uh, anything other than um, to express a, a very bleak view of life uh, that in some ways, and completely unlike the Salaire de la Peau, is burdened by a sense of sin, yeah, mm. of having done something wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, and actually, I really, as I said, I despised the way that, you know, this fake Latin American country is depicted. Yeah, dictators, po poverty, grimness, a prison... Like, there's nothing good. You could, you'd say, well, at least the bananas are excellent or something. No, nothing is good about this place, right? Uh, which I think is false, you know, and, and a, a lack mm -hmm. of intellectual curiosity and empathy, a lack of empathy. Um, so, so... There is some beautiful landscape photography, I thought, which may be called comfort when, you know, kind of the, the rest of the depiction is kind of so grimy. Yes. But I thought at, at points, especially helicopter shots of the kind of the dense, lush forests are really showing the place off. They are. I thought. But isn't it terrible that somebody should care more about landscape than people? I think that may be true, yeah. I mean, it's also it, it also it has a sense of that... Um, remember we saw the last Rambo film mm. last blood i think it was called and you know i was saying like they go they go down into mexico in the, and mexico is hell and then they come back into into uh, the usa and the usa is heaven yes you know it's this lovely ranch and the rest and this has a sense of that like you send them you send these people there into hell into hell yes but you but you're associating hell with this foreign culture south america and it's not only that you know that whole episode with the indigenous man and his family. Like, what the fuck was yeah. all that about? Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it feels... And actually, that's a point where I thought something would happen, because I think it's a problem that the film's title is Sorcerer. Because knowing nothing about this film going in, this had a sense to me of, it's going to be something supernatural mm. going on, following the exorcist, and also the very start of the film, like one of the opening images, is a, a picture of that stone sort of... South American like Mayan figure mm. and so you think oh this is going to figure into the film somewhere and then for an hour it doesn't and then you see it again they drive past it and then again it doesn't but so I'm thinking like when that guy shows up and he's just kind of native I guess um, and he's kind of dancing around the truck and teasing them you're thinking oh so it starts here mm. and then it doesn't so it really just becomes nothing and you go what the hell as you say what the hell was that yes all about I mean and actually because they run him over don't they I'm I think they drive, they, they don't stop driving, but I think the guy is like adept and he, he doesn't actually get run over, I think. Well, again, remember? isn't that terrible? Because I think he did, <laughs> right? So I think, <laughs> yeah, if we're not even sure about it, I that mean, is... I've been watching properly, but that he is, did. That is also a fault with the film. 
you know i mean i mm. think uh, 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 so so the landscape is beautiful it's beautifully filmed some of the shots are amazing the ones at the end with that kind of lunar landscape yeah with those almost mythological cliffs or the statue yeah they look like sculpture um yeah you know and there's like a purple sky above yeah them. i mean they look mm. fantastic right so so um i can understand why the film is a failure i think it gives the audience very little uh both in terms of uh sensation you know uh uh there's not a laugh in it, that's for sure. <laughs> and also, you know, if you if you try to think of the themes or of meaning, or I mean, I kind of I don't think it's very uh, serious or sophisticated in relation to any of that either. So, so this is becoming maybe a hobby horse with me uh, about Friedkin, or actually maybe really a problem with Friedkin. Yeah. Uh, because this seems to be a pattern now. I have a slightly different sense of why it was a failure. And it, I mean, it definitely was a failure. It flopped at the box office, and um, it's only kind of in recent years, I think it's had a kind of critical reappraisal. So I think it kind of failed critically and financially. Um, one of the reasons is that it came out a month after Star Wars. Yes. And Star Wars took over the world, you know. I think I think one reason is the title, and I do think people would have been expecting something different than something something different to what they got. I think that is that is true. Uh, uh, I'm sure those are factors, you know. Um, but uh, the film was released at a different time, uh, so you know the fact that Star Wars came out like at the same time, you know. It, it is not a given that anything released next to it would have been completely obliterated. Yeah, kind of no. Star Wars success, it's not necessarily the failure of Sorcerer, right? I think, the, I think the film gives an audience very little. I mean, as I said, you know, kind of, you know, the only thing that I felt whilst watching it was suspense, right? So, you know, you go yeah, to a movie... Yeah, but that's not to be sniffed at because I think that's, that's its greatest feature. And it's... And I'm, not, it's... I'm not sniffing at it. It's definitely its greatest feature. I agree with you. But I, but I think it's not enough. No, I agree it's not enough. And I, I, and I leave the film going, you know, what, what, what about this will I want to watch again? And what I will want to watch again is the bit with the, with the bridge. Mm. There's, nothing, there's nothing next if I can say about the bit where they're crossing the rope bridge. Mm. I think it's extraordinary. And the mm. fact that you know this is really happening because this is in the age before CGI and you can tell it's not a model. Mm. You know, they have gone to a river and built a road bridge and driven a truck across it in mm. those conditions, or you know they fake those conditions to some extent. But like that is really happening, mm. and you feel that you feel the weight of that thing and the mm. peril. And are they going to make it? And is it going to break? And it's so big and all the rest of it. I thought that was I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was a fantastic scene, and that will stay with me. And I think I was thinking just that imagine seeing it on the on a cinema screen. If only mm. we'd be able to, you know, that would have been extraordinary. To be fair, there are there are things that will stay with me. Yeah, like. I mean, I do think that Friedkin is an extraordinarily skilled director. I, you know, I, I don't want to minimize that. Um, so, the, so there are actually many things that will stay with me. The, 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 the scene in the bridge is one of them. Uh, you know, the, the way the whole film looks, really. Mm. Um, I, I loved bits of the soundtrack, yeah? So kind of, you know, not necessarily the famous Tangerine Dream 
thing. Uh, but I love the bits of jazz that they use, you know, the, the, the Charlie Parker and the bits of So What and so on. I thought um, that was lovely. I love Paco Raval's performance, actually. You know, like I just, uh, uh, I mean, he, he, he it gives me pleasure, you know, because he's doing such theatrical things. Just the way that he holds his hat in one scene, yeah, is kind mm. of gives um, the film an energy and a, and a, and a, and a jolt. So, you know, there are, there are many things that, that I value about it. Uh, but I would like someone to explain to me why they see it as a modern classic, you know, because I certainly kind of think it's nowhere near that. I mean, you know, being technically proficient at producing kind of these things on the huge budget that he had, because I read from Wikipedia that, you know, the film began with a 2.5 million budget and then inflated to, I don't know how much. Yeah, this is 20 a big, odd. Yeah, this is so, you know, this is a big budget film for its time, right? I think Star Wars mm. cost 6 million, if I remember correctly. This is a $20 million film, right? So, um, so you know, kind of a lot of those things that we're marveling at, the, you know, the technical aspects of it, those are things you can buy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we still got to do them. 11 million is the budget I've got here for Star Wars. Okay, so half, you know, this is double the budget of, of the original Star Wars. You know, and the original but I think Star Wars. I think the thing is, sorcery is trying something. You know, there, it has this feeling of of that kind of uh, new Hollywood sort of unrestrained authorial ego on screen. Like this is my story, and this is what I'm trying. It's like, it, it, it's, it has a kind of uh, apocalypse now sort of sense of um, madness and scale, and you know they can't stop us. We're going to go into the jungle and make this, and who you know, um, which I really enjoy, and I think. But the you film know, it, itself has none of the madness that that Apocalypse Now the film has. Oh, that's for sure. And you know, it, it, it has that sort of set of it has that hallucination sequence towards the end. But that's mm. as far as the madness goes. And I don't think it's you know, I, I'm not sure it's, it's entirely going for that. But I think, but I love that sense of of place and and intent. Even if I mean, it kind of feels like it's it's heading. It's it feels like it's aiming at something thematically deeper than it's capable of sort of achieving because it feels like it it heads back into set pieces and it heads back into thrills mm. when it could be developing character and developing theme, which I think it does very little. But I you know I was I was I, I wasn't bored for a second. I was in, I was I was surprised at how much I enjoyed following it actually when they're. It's probably twenty five minutes in or so when you move into South America and you find your characters there, and they don't know each other, but they notice each other because they're all out of place and they can tell, you know. Um, and things gradually develop. So the Roy Scheider character, the police are onto him because they've all got fake identities and they've worked his out and they start garnishing his wages and all this. Um, you've got the um, Palestinian character and the uh, ex-Nazi who uh, develop a, a, a slight friendship between them. I like the way it was. I like the pacing of it, and I like the staging of it, and I and I like the fact that, like I say, it's an hour of the film. It's half of the film before they even get into the trucks and make this deal, saying we're going to transport this nitroglycerin, and the time really flew by for me, you know. And then I like the sequences. I like the sequence of them getting the trucks together and doing them up and fixing them and so on. Like I, th yeah, it's just a montage of of engineering, but mm. I like that. I think it's very skillful filmmaking, as you mm. said. I like the fact how little 
dialogue there is in it, actually. So yeah. much of the film is visually told, visually narrated, and it's just kind of one shot following another and, and action progressing gradually. Um, you know, I'd say, I, I wasn't bored for a single second. I was constantly interested in where things would go, and I couldn't quite get... I n- I'd never seen Wages of Fear. I'd never read the novel, you know. Um, I didn't even know what it was. I mean, I know of Wages of Fear, but... Um, never seen it or known the story so it was kind of it was all completely new and unpredictable to me mm. the only thing i really 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 didn't like actually which spoke to a kind of cheapness was the very ending where roy scheider's in the he's the only surviving member of the group yeah. and he's going to get paid all four shares and he gets his citizenship that he's won his legal citizenship so he doesn't get bothered and it looks like he's kind of finally sort of made some way out for himself mm. and then the people who were searching for him with his old friend who sent him to South America show up outside and you just hear them go inside and shoot him and and film credits yeah and you go oh man why does it have to why, why did that have to happen <laughs> you yes. know it, like there's no effect to it it just makes me feel a bit despondent and bereft and if that was the ending they wanted to give they could have ended it earlier, where Roy Scheider ends up by himself in that lunar landscape, you know, yeah, on his own. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. If they would have just exploded the truck there, you know, and him in it, <laughs> you know, that would have been, yeah. like, the same effect of the ending that they actually did ten minutes later. So, it, to me... One except without the idea that he almost got away. Except without the idea he almost made it. You no, know? you could have That's conveyed, what they give him. Well, you could have conveyed that idea, you know, uh, uh, uh... 10 minutes earlier. Um, I, I think there's something very obvious also about uh, Friedkin's structures in these films. Yeah, like, I mean, I know it's in the novel and I know it's in the previous film, but you know that with two trucks going forward, one of them is not going to make it, right? So it's just a question of, like, kind of when is it going to happen, right? Mm. Uh, so, so... I didn't, yeah, and uh, uh, again, I, it's a problem that I see uh, in in other of his films, yeah, that, you know, he's often kind of, he credits himself as co-screenwriter, and I'm not sure he necessarily uh, improves very important things in the film, like structures, you know. Uh, mm. So... Yeah, so a mixed bag, really. I'm very glad I saw it, and actually, I would recommend that other people see it, uh, but the more I'm seeing of Friedkin's work, the more these claims, you know, that he is one of the unsung great directors of the 70s, right, uh, and, uh, you know, that it's time to reevaluate him along the same lines of the very greatest of that period, to me, those, you know, uh, mm. uh, become weaker and weaker claims the more I see so far of his work. Yeah, like his abilities as a craftsman seem to be unquestionable, really. Yes. And that's why things like the car chase in The French Connection will continue to be kind of classic, because yes. that's what they're about. But but you, but you it does feel in this film as if, and it, I think it feels in The French Connection as well, as if he doesn't care enough about kind of thematic or character depth or gets distracted from it by yes. by you know making thrills and chases and suspense and so on which he's very mm. good at but, but as you said with French Connection you came up feeling okay what's it about 
Mm. I kind of had that feeling here. Yeah. You know, anything you can say it's about is fairly light, really. And actually what it's about for me is the scene on the bridge. It's yeah. about the the oil uh, fire shooting up into the air, which mm. I thought looked incredible too. You know, yeah. it was shot amazingly. That's what it's about. And it leaves you with those images and, and a feeling of, <laughs> of bereftness at the end. Yeah. I want to say something about Roy Scheider as well, which will sound mm. mean, you know, because I've kind of, I've always liked him without being, you know, completely like crazy about him. Um, but watching him in this film, I thought he was also part of the reason why the film didn't work, right? You know, okay. uh, I don't know what his age was, but he's someone who I think came to fame relatively late. Yeah, that, um, he was born in 32, so he would have been 45 or so here. There you go. Right. So and this is like one of his early leading roles. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he was playing a supporting part in the French Connection. So so and and you can see how much work he's had done on his face. Yeah, there's something really okay. plasticky and stretched out about his face in this film, right? So it's both angular, but also, I think, inexpressive, actually. Uh, so, uh, yeah. That's not something I noticed. Right, okay, well. Uh, you know, but then I'm not as shallow as you. <laughs> the, if you're talking about acting, how a face moves is not being shallow, right? It's yeah. kind of... <laughs> No. Or what I a face expresses that. is not being shallow. It's you know, uh, so mm. so. For me, kind of, uh, um, Scheider is a problem with this film. Yeah, that uh, kind of you're not really led into what's in his. He doesn't let you into what's in his mind as an actor, really. Aside mm. from the way that the character is drawn, and I think it's very different, for example, than you know, the Paco Raval character who's also not given a character to play, actually, uh, and there's not much he can do with it, but, you know, being the wily actor that he is, at least he gives you pleasure in it, right? Like, you know, just mm -hmm. glances, looks, the way he wears his hat. Yeah, he's giving a performance to an audience, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, he's not letting you inside his emotions because, the, 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 you know, the character's not drawn with any. Right. But at least he's making something of that part. I think with Scheider, I feel neither one nor the other. I, th I feel like Scheider has that. Um, what was it that uh, Paul Schrader? Yes. Paul Schrader, um, I think, had. Did he, did he have an argument with Spielberg about some film they're working on? And Schrader wanted a kind of action hero type. Um, and Spielberg wanted a kind of everyman type mm. who you could imagine that you were and looked like you went to McDonald's and they had this kind of thing. They had, they had this huge argument about that. It's like Spielberg's going, that's exactly what I want. Roy Scheider kind of has that here for me. And I think it makes him it makes him likeable, actually. I mean, it, the, one thing that occurred to me is that I believed all the characters. Even the assassin, who's a real kind of... He's a nothing character and he's a sort of... He's a real film trope. Um, but I still kind of believe vaguely who he is and, and what he likes. You know, he talks mm. about at the end when he's dying, he talks about the uh, screwing whores in wherever the place was. I can't remember the name of the town. Um, and you Managua. go like, yeah, I believe that of him. Sorry. Managua, I think. Managua. Um, and you go like, yeah, I believe that of him. You know, I believe this guy. I believe the Palestinian and kind of 
why things would go so wrong that he would end up there. I believe Roy Scheider and why things would go so wrong that he would end up... In fact, the thing I least believe about Roy Scheider is that he was ever a gangster, I suppose. Um, like, that's the least believable thing about him. Yeah. But I... I, I but the, I, I liked that, you know, I liked that I didn't actually question these guys, really. I think there's a big blank in that role and a lack of warmth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, imagine, mm. uh, you know, my middle-aged brain is fading now, but who was in that? Bruce Willis. Imagine Bruce Willis <laughs> in that part. Yeah. It would yeah. be full of warmth and jokes and, yeah, like, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But do you know so, who the role was written for? No, who? Steve McQueen. Well, Steve McQueen would have been fantastic in that, and he would have brought all those qualities, you know, and he would have been more believable as a gangster and all of that. I mean, there is something very static about mm. Scheider. I mean, I think he's a very good actor, don't get me wrong. But actually, I do think that um, there is something inexpressive about his face uh, in this film. Um, mm. and, and, and also, well, I suppose, you know, he, he doesn't have the kind of movie star qualities that then just, you know, automatically draw you in like a Cagney or a Robinson or, you know, no. or uh, a McQueen. I mean, look, McQueen. you think you imagine like the value of a close up of McQueen yes. is so much greater just, just in terms of feeling and beauty and, and interest than a close-up of Roy Scheider, as interesting an actor as he can be. Yeah. It's just not the same, you know? No, exactly. Um, it has that, it's that, that star power, star quality, whatever you want to call it. It's a big difference. Yeah, and that's something that's at the whole of this film. Um, mm. You know, and, and that actually is usually a problem with Friedkin as well. I mean, I think of all the films that I've now seen, uh, Boys in the Band, Cruising, To Live and Die in L.A., Jade and this film the only and uh, The Exorcist the only film star that he yeah in these films is Al Pacino right so you know in The Exorcist you have Ellen Burstyn but that was kind of and she did become a star in the 70s but that was kind of before that and of course you have uh, Max von Sydow right who has, of course was a star in Bergman films but you know what I mean? He, yeah, like he's not like... In Killer uh, Joe, there's Matthew McConaughey, which we'll get on true. to when we see true. that. True, yes. Um, um, and that is a real... And that's not just a film star. It's a starring role in that film as well. He commands sure. the film. Sure. Um, but, but, yeah, kind of... That yeah. seems to be I do more get your point. an exception than the rule, right? So, which I think is also an interesting thing. Obviously, the star of Friedkin films is meant to be Friedkin himself, right? Which goes on. Yeah, I found, I was, I found an interesting interview. It was like, the, I think it was only a few years ago, um, the film was, was restored in, I think, 2014, and it was shown at some place, and there's a transcript of the Q&A afterwards with him, and he's talking about how uh, the studio was uncomfortable with the fact there are so many foreign actors in the film, like how, how are people going to go and see this when they don't recognise the people's names. And he had this attitude of like, it doesn't matter, I'm freaking. And, you know, he said, I was very arrogant back then. I think that's probably not changed these days, but still he yeah. said, I was very arrogant back then. And I thought that the fact that I made the film would be what got people in, hmm. you know. And and so he definitely sort of, there's, there's well, like I say, there's there's a authorial ego to him. Yeah. And it's not just in terms of sort of, uh, a point of view of the film. It's also about the guy behind it, hmm. you know. All yeah. right. So shall we wrap it up here? Is there any last thing you want to say? 
Um, I, I really liked it. I've got to say, despite the fact I ended up feeling um, a bit empty and broken, mm-hmm. um, there's so much that I liked, and I will revisit scenes. I will revisit those images of the fire, and I'll revisit that whole sequence of the bridge, um, and I'll revisit probably the the hallucination sequence as well that leads into that kind of ending at the at the um, in that sort of weird white graveyard seeming mm. place. Mm. Um, Kind of very peculiar, but you know. So there are lots of things that I liked, but you do end up going. There's there's an even greater film hidden behind spectacle, I suppose. Yes, and it was made by Clouseau. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose I have to watch that one. So um, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Eavesdrop Movies. And our website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.